Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Well, here we are in a grim time, but nothing can stop the bloviating of the hacks. X, how you doing? You safe? You buried in a bunker? Doing okay. So far, so far, so good. Me too. Uh, good, good, good. Well, you'll never guess who I found sheltering in place. Uh, but <laughs> I have our an idea. old buddy, Robert Gibbs. Hey, Robert. Hi. How are you guys? We're doing well, man. How are you? You're in Chicago. Chicago hunkered down for the last couple of weeks. The wave appears to be rising there, huh? Yeah. When they talk about, if you have any recollection of, I know you do, obviously, Axe, but McCormick Center is this just giant convention center that they're now uh, turning into um, a hospital. So it gives you a sense of the proportion of what Chicago, Cook County, and the surrounding area is about to deal with. It looks like it's the uh, Midwest turn now. My hometown of Detroit, things are a little grim. They're doing the same thing in Cobo Hall with 900 beds. And Michigan yesterday actually had more deaths than California. And if you think about that on a per capita, I think the Midwest is kind of the next rotation of this awful thing. Yeah. Well, the commander-in-chief is on the case. <laughs> Uh, he now has a hit reality show every night at five or five thirty, leading right into the evening news. Uh, and, uh, interesting, uh, to watch the phenomenon, you know, he's treating it as such talking about his ratings and so on, but I wanted to start this, uh, convo with a, uh, a, a clip of a CBS report, uh, this morning off of yesterday's events that contains within it a lot of the elements of what I think we should bloviate about today. So let's take a listen. Moving on to Washington, the president is saying that he may announce new social distancing guidelines today. At a briefing yesterday, he downplayed the needs of states hit hardest by the virus, claiming that testing is no longer an issue and blaming medical workers for the shortage of supplies. Now he's getting pushback himself, as Weijia Zhang reports from the White House. We don't know where the emergency From the Rose Garden, President Trump said governors across the country were happy with the help from the federal government, referencing a video conference call with them earlier in the day. I think for the most part they were saying thank you for doing a great job. CBS News obtained a recording of the call, and while the governors did thank the president, they also raised concerns. Montana Governor Steve Bullock warned the president a delay in testing could soon overwhelm hospitals in rural areas and said his state does not have the capability to test. We just don't have enough supplies to even do the testing. I haven't heard about testing in weeks. We've tested more now than any nation in the world, but I haven't heard about testing being a problem. And at the so, briefing, Mr. Trump praised his administration. Over one million Americans have now been tested more than any other country but the U.S. is lagging in the number of tests per capita, and President Trump lashed out when asked why. You should be saying congratulations instead of asking a really uh, snarky question. Because I He also exactly repeated his suggestion that. that surgical masks were being stolen by health care workers, claiming a vendor told him one New York hospital ordered 10 to 20,000 masks before the virus. But now... And all of a sudden he's giving 300,000 and I said, no matter how bad this is, could that be possible? Is it going out the back door? New York Governor Andrew Cuomo addressed the allegations. If he really believes that, uh, then he should just 
call for an investigation. Governor Cuomo said he does not believe any equipment is being stolen. As for ventilators, President Trump said production has ramped up so dramatically the U.S. will have enough to send to other countries in Europe, though he did not provide any specific numbers or timeline. (laughs) There you have it in a microcosm. You know, you have the reality show versus the reality, but the reality show is doing pretty well. People are hungry for information. He uh, is putting on a show, and people are watching, and his numbers are moving up, uh, at least incrementally, in terms of his handling of the crisis. You know, in the middle of the month, he made a a sharp U-turn from, this is nothing, it's all under control, to we're at war, and he took the podium, and, you know, for the first half of March, he was about six points below water, underwater, in other words, more negative than positive, in terms of his ratings here. Now, seven points or so above since then on the average. So he's having some impact, but you also hear sort of the clash of reality versus the reality show. Yeah, I mean, there is some built-in, even if a chimp got up there in a suit during a crisis and was the president, the the, the chimp is going to have the spotlight. And a lot of this polling, and we can talk about more of the politics and polling in a minute, but a lot of it's a noise meter. And so I think there when the president is ubiquitous during a crisis it's generally a good thing for the president but the problem we have which i think is a fundamental political problem trump has is the stakes are so high and people's real lives are being totally shaken up by this awful thing and it's going to be here for a while that i think the polls that are going to count are the ones late in the summer after the country's endured the whole thing including the economic pain uh that is going to mount so um you know, we're see just the, the the question is, and I think you've seen the beginning of it. And, you know, somebody leaked that phone call at the governors. The governors are just starting to sidestep the president and take charge. The Cuomo show. Um, I think you're going to see more governors getting a higher public profile. Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, because uh, on one hand, it's in their interest to take care of their state. And the other, the, the Trump reality show is so disconnected to reality. There's it's kind of an indulgence that they can't have. By the way, when a chimp appears in a suit, that is noteworthy. So, I mean, in a sense, there is a, a, a chimp in a suit rule here. Well, orangutan, at least, There yeah. is president. The standards are low. If you look uh, and sound like uh, the president in a crisis, that gets you uh, some points. Right. Built in. David, I, I, I don't think the president had a lot of choice here. And if you look at that Washington Post poll from the weekend where more people, as you said, believed – his response was positive than negative. Buried in that poll were 58% who believed at the beginning of this crisis he'd moved too slowly. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that was the warning sign that they understood. 58% in a 50-50 world is, is nearly a landslide. And it required him to get out there. I think the real trap for him sort of in the long term are what you saw in that clip. There's a series of false expectations uh, that he continues to lay down, whether it's about testing being prevalent or normalcy returning. Um, Ventilators. Those, yeah, and, and those those set up a series of false promises that are almost assuredly going to be unmet. Uh, that's going to erode confidence. Secondly, um, this is a long-term problem. As Murphy said, we're going to be looking at polling of this in August and September. This isn't a story of the day that is going to go away mm-hmm. and the reality is just going to get swept underneath the rug of misinformation 
from Trump. This is going to be with him the whole time, and some of those statements are going to stick to him long term. And lastly, I would say they they bring out they also have a tendency to bring out his supporters are going to love these new rallies, if you will, uh, in the Rose Garden now and sparring with reporters, but people that recoil from that, and I think particularly, say, suburban women voters watch Trump talk about that woman in Michigan who's the governor and talk about how nasty these reporters are, I think that tends to solidify his opposition around some of these things as well. So I think they're even as the the ratings are up, the trap doors uh, are very apparent. For Trump, he is a reality show guy, and every day is a new day. There is no before and there is no after. That works, but not in a pandemic. And, uh, you know, you can't bullshit your way through mm-hmm. a, a pandemic. Let me just play uh, Mike Francesca, New York uh, sports radio guy, very well known there, generally an ally of Trump. He kind of jumped uh, ship yesterday in a really dramatic way that reflects this clash between the reality show and reality. Let's take a listen to that. We're watching one thing happen in our city on the 11 o'clock news every night. We're watching people die, and now we know people who died. And we're not seeing one or two people die now in our neighborhood. We're seeing them die by the tens and twenties by the day. They're bringing people out of the hospital in Queens in body bags. Five minutes from where he grew up. We here know this isn't right. You get the guys in the metropolitan area and ask the cops in New York if it's right right now. Ask the firemen in New York who are answering those police calls right, answering those ambulance calls if it's right right now. Ask the nurses and the doctors in that hospital if it's right right now. They know it's not. They don't have the supplies they need. So don't give me the my pillow guy doing a song and dance up here on a Monday afternoon when people are dying in Queens. A long clip, but a powerful one. And it really underscores the, uh, the, the problem for Trump here, which is you cannot spin a pandemic. Well, it's when stakes are super high, the usual Washington bullshit is an indulgence you can't have. So most people see the Washington food fight, which Trump's had a lot of, and it hasn't helped his numbers. Trump's had bad numbers for a long time, but that that's kind of part of the TV show politics. It's what they do over there. It's not reality. Well, now this pandemic is reality. And I think the other thing that when people look at this polling, and I'm sure there's epic bedwetting over in the Democratic side over all this, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, they're forgetting one thing, which is the, the virus is moving across the country. And the first concentrations have been in the urban counties and the metroplexes where the Democrats get most of their vote. They're like 3,200 counties in the U.S. And as you guys well know, the vast bulk of the Democratic vote comes out of about 170 of them. And that's where the pandemic is really living right now. But it's, it keeps moving. You know, biology doesn't look at red and blue. So increasingly rural and exurban counties are going to get more and more dealing with it. Oh, hell, my uncle has it. Uh, pain, and that is Trump America, where he does really well, and it's 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 going to not only feel the economic pain, but it's going to feel more disease pain over the next ten weeks. Yeah, Robert, you were the White House press secretary. This has been an ongoing strategy of Trump's to disqualify the media as objective arbiters of truth uh, and conveyors of truth, but he's turned it in overdrive. Now he's like picking fights in the. Rose Garden each day with reporters. And you can see it in the numbers that Republicans say only 14% or so say 
they trust the media to give them objective facts about coronavirus. You know, Democrats are in the 80s or 90s and, you know, independents somewhere in between. Is this an effective tactic for him? Well, I think with his base, he's swimming with the current, right? He's picking those fights in order to show them that he's a fighter and he's still going to fight the establishment and what have you. I just think this is fundamentally, as we've just talked about, it's a different ball game. This is not something where the fact checkers are going to get a segment on cable and, and get righteous and can't believe somebody's not telling the truth. This is life and death. This is real. And the clips of him saying, I don't think hospitals need this many ventilators, or we've got 15 cases and we're going to zero, those kind of things are going to live for a lot, lot longer than, again, what a fact-checking segment uh, about getting a couple of numbers wrong or what have you. So I, I agree with you. I think this is, because this is long-term, because this is going to be with us for so long, the stakes are so high and nothing is going to blot out this in any way, shape, or form anytime soon. I think this is one of those ones where he's got to do everything he can to change these numbers. The challenge, I think, is we're six weeks behind, right? We lost a big chunk of January and all of February, even probably some parts of of March. And it it is just once you're behind in a pandemic that doesn't follow any rules, it's going to be extraordinarily challenging. I think he's doing what he knows how to do best, which is, as you said, he's kind of the ringleader of the reality show and probably looking at, uh, at Fauci and others and hoping they can handle the rest. Yeah, but he keeps getting in their way. I mean, look, uh, here's some free advice because the president, you know, I don't know, Robert, we should have warned you of this uh, beforehand. He listens, uh, he's an inveterate listener of the Hacks on Tap podcast. Religiously, so yeah. Here, here, is some, here is some free advice, Mr. President. Do your job. Just do your job. Listen to the scientists. Put them out front. Give people confidence that what needs to be done is being done. Be truthful about the severity of this. Don't keep changing the goalposts. Don't give people reason to doubt. This is one of those things where good government really is good politics, and excessive politics is very, very bad politics. The problem is he's programmed by his psychology. He thinks he is doing his job by being him, and he's addicted to a drug he can't get away from, which is being in the spotlight. And I think his other problem is he's a short con guy. So what he does in any situation is a word salad of declaring victory. You know, we're doing tremendous. We're doing fabulous. I designed a ventilator yesterday. It's so good. It's amazing. The my pillow guy is turning his pillow factory into a ventilator factory. It's phenomenal. And, <laughs> you know, he just overwhelms. Yeah, he wants it, him to run for office. It, it's all the. And by the way, I thought the my pillow guy was kind of sweet, by the way. I know there's a lot of sneering at him, but I, I think the guy's a patriot and he's trying his own way to help. So I don't I don't join. Someone's in the looking for guy. a free uh, f- for a free pillow here. I can see what you're up to. Cut to next week. Hey, X, what do you think about pillows? <laughs> well, you know, if you go to 1-800.com pillow, you can get a hacks on tap discount. I'll, I'll get the you'll be like John Candy and volunteers where he's there. They're never getting me with their commie propaganda. The means of the people must be harnessed for the good of all. But back to the point. Trump just can't not be Trump. You know, that's always been the problem. So every time there's like a smart thing to do or even just do the job, forget the politics of it, he just can't not be what he is. He does have a little rudder 
And I think, and you guys have mentioned this, he's clearly leaning into it now to kind of listen a little bit. Apparently, there was a Johnny McLaughlin poll showing people like stay-at-home. So instantly, we've gone from Easter mass celebrations and crowded arenas to two more weeks, which was in the on the on the very low expectations Trump scale a, a step forward. But that's about all he's got. That little ten percent turn either way. And then the minute a reporter asked him a fastball question, you know, he goes back to his act, which is here's the enemy and everything's fabulous. And I just don't think he can ever change that. Look, he is a he's a guy who spins. Yeah, he's a salesman. I mean, I want to get excessively critical but you know he's this is a guy who spun trump university this is the guy who spins stakes and golf courses and you know he sells he's a seller he's a he's is a marketer and sometimes with schemes that aren't exactly what he presents and he's trying to do that here it is a terrible mistake yeah I agree. Uh, and i do think people are going to weary of i think he has a feral genius for tv he revels in it his ranting about the ratings and his gleeful, joyful invocation of television ratings of his briefings was perverse. But I think that could come back and really bite him here. Let's talk, though, about the other guy, because there's actually going to be a uh, a race in 2020. Sometime we're going to get back to an election somehow, maybe all in mail ballots, but we'll we'll see. Robert, what about Joe Biden? How he he's sort of trying very hard to carve into this thing, but it's really very tough because you don't have an official role, and um, you know so people aren't sort of hankering to hear from you. Right. I think that the challenge is exactly that you, you're not in elected. You're not an elected official. You're not part of this response in some way. So it is much harder to carve out a stake in it. Obviously, you've got some very big personalities that have been involved in it. Uh, the Cuomo's, the Newsom's, the Whitmer's, you know, Mike DeWine, even who's, you know, not exactly a guy who's chasing cameras. Uh, but has done, I think, very well in this environment. Yeah, just by dint of the job, you know. Right, exactly. Well, and, and he's I think a grown-up. He's been in the you, game a long time. Um, a, a big leg up here. And I think the challenge for them is to figure out ways quickly to make him more relevant in that daily discussion, to be not just critical of, but I think when you've seen Biden at his best recently, it is when he's playing what he would be doing in the response vis-a-vis what is happening. And so that feels substantive. It feels big. And also also the empathy piece, the empathy yeah. piece. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think the other card that I think he does so well and what I think America is really going to be looking for in the coming weeks is the ability for a leader to be empathetic. And I think that clip you played of, uh, of Francesa was was interesting where he says, it's not that we, we you know, we're, we go from hearing about people to knowing people that are passing yeah, away. That and, was and really I think powerful. That's the turn that's going to happen in some of these places. I think them getting Biden out to do more of that is is really important because quite frankly, he just does it so well. Biden, I agree totally. I think it's all empathy and competence, uh, which is the anecdote and the anti Trump. It's just so hard to have a platform right now because you can't do the traditional campaign stuff. Uh, so Biden's streaming from a bunker, and it's just not his skill to look at a camera and kind of connect in the abstract. And then he's got, and, and I'll put on my Republican hat, you know, over in our bunkers over the years, 
even we were often the stupid party, but we would laugh about how the Democrats can easily be the bedwetting party. The donors all turn on a mm-hmm. dime with very little provocation. The New York Times is always ready to write a story about why can't a wonder candidate run. And because the Cuomo show has been a hit and Cuomo's become the anti-Trump in some ways on TV every day, you know, that is out there. I'm sure. I mean, out here in Hollywood, I know a lot of Democrats who are, you know, running around. What kind of logo should Cuomo for president have? And it's just kind of the nature of the thing. So, you know, yeah. in the vacuum, the Cuomo show is eclipsing Biden a little and, and being eclipsed, even though it's ridiculous as far as an actual candidacy. But being eclipsed like that is a real damn problem because, you know, Biden doesn't have a daily briefing. Just to date myself, I was uh, I was uh, at the uh, 1984 Democratic Convention. Walter Mondale was the candidate. Reagan was a colossus, and Mario Cuomo gave uh, Andrew's father gave a mm-hmm. stemwinder of a uh, keynote address there, and everybody was saying, "Why can't that guy be uh, the candidate?" So you're right. This is a long term affliction. Of Democrats, but it, it's inconvenient for Biden. You know, my my wife uh, this morning, Susan, uh, said to me, Jim, I'm getting all these emails from people saying, what, you know, can't Cuomo replace Biden? You know, that is not going to happen. And uh, and it shouldn't be because he didn't he wasn't part of this process. Right. And you can't judge this in the moment. I just want to play a little clip because uh, we were talking about Biden's empathy. He had a couple of hits. Like, you know, he is getting out more. He did a town hall on CNN on Friday night. He did a uh, he did meet the press and a few things on Sunday. He started, by the way, Murphy, a podcast, which uh, now more competition in the marketplace. Yeah, he also said he's uh, he's going to start putting out web videos or as he preferred to call them talkies. So he's got he's got room to go. <laughs> but I, I applaud the effort. Hey, and by the way, quick hacks on tap. You know who else heard that speech on the floor of the convention in San Francisco? Who? Me. As a young college Republican leader, I snuck on the floor and hung out with Ruben Askew and uh, uh, had a tremendous time way back there. A lot of people say that's where it started to go wrong for See, me. See, the but difference I between convention. the parties is you, you weren't beaten for uh, <laughs> sneaking in there. That, so. that is true. Anyway, we, we don't put up with that kind of stuff. Let's listen to the clip uh, from the town hall meeting with uh, Anderson Cooper on uh, Friday night. You know, I've I've lost a couple children. I've lost a wife. I've, I've uh, um, and it is it is incredibly difficult to go through, and it's harder to go through when you haven't had an opportunity to be with the person while they're dying. My mom, my dad, I was able to be with them and lie in bed with them, and they took their last breaths. My son, I was able to do that. My deceased wife, I was not able to do that. I was not able to, I was not able to be there. And it makes a gigantic difference for people. And seek help. Seek help afterwards. Seek help to talk to people who've been through it. So they know, they know, they can tell you that you can get through it. You really can. It's possible. But boy, it is so, so, so hard. And that's one of the cruelest, cruelest things that's happening. It is so uh, valuable to be able to actually connect with the experiences of people. Think back to that Francesca piece and then listen to what Joe Biden just said. And I think it's really meaningful. The question is whether uh, uh, a lot of people hear it. 
I suspect that, I, I don't know what the audience was, I suspect it was pretty large for that town hall, but, you know, can he consistently get out there and both show his competence around this issue? The thing that people are working on the other side, the the Republican side is, you know, he's addled, he jumbles words, he's not competent, and so on. He sounded very competent to me on this issue, and uh, Robert and I both worked with him in the White House during the Recovery Act and through a few other things where he had the lead. He was very good. I mean, he was on the phone with those governors every uh, and mayors every single day to make sure the Recovery Act got out of the box right. You know, this is an opportunity for him. He just doesn't have the bandwidth to... Uh, you know, he doesn't have the platform. The platform. Yeah, I think he's found his voice. And we haven't had a Biden super gaffe in a long time. So he's working the smaller theaters right now by the nature of things. But I think the appeal of that message will grow along with the pain people are, are following. I mean, I've been pitching him do a Joe Garagiola Biden conversation on streaming, kind of a fireplace chat with some somebody to have a partner. I think it'll play. It's just breaking through right now where, you know, if you're not a doctor or a doomsayer, it's hard to get in the media cycle. Yeah, the problem with your advice is that nobody but you and uh, Biden remember Joe Garagiola. But I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> we, we can get Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> that's good. Uh, no, I think, I mean, look, I, I think it's really incumbent upon the campaign at this point to figure out we are all sitting in front of screens, right? We are all sitting in front of either a television or a desktop, or on our iPhones. And that kind of compelling, really from the heart speaking, has a place and can break through. Uh, I think they've just got to continue to do more and more of it. The, the, the moment for reprising exactly that, and I don't mean reading a teleprompter, because no one is as compelling as if they're just speaking from the heart. I think mm-hmm. finding a place to do that in the next, you know, particularly as this thing gets worse and worse in New York and around the country, there's going to be a big avenue for him. I actually think this podcast idea is a good idea for him. If he's talking to people who are on the front lines or people who have suffered, he may be at his best. He's not at his best reading, as you point out, a prompter, those deadening uh, kind of quasi-presidential speeches from his basement are the least effective way to communicate. I do think, as listeners of Hacks on Tap will know, the editing of the podcast will be tricky because bumpy syntax without television, it's worse. You ever listen to a Trump press conference with no video, it's even more kind of horrifying. And because Biden's not immune to some malaprop problems, too, they're going to have to really be professional about the production of it, or I I don't think it will help, because I think the subtext of the communication will be doddering. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, no, I mean, we benefit from the fact that we speak the King's English and uh, flawlessly, and that makes this whole podcast thing work. Oh, but, yeah. We're, we're, we're the erudition here. The, the old Vic calls us every day asking us to do walk-ons. But we have a secret weapon called Colonel Jeff Fox who uh, edits this thing and makes us look not like the, uh, the mumbling fools we are. And, and Biden's going to need help. The polling, Robert, is sort of mixed in terms of the race. First of all, Nate Silver said something that I think made sense to me, which is, A, polling doesn't matter right now. B, there's very little Biden can do to change this story. This isn't about Biden now. It's all about Trump and how he handles this. And that's probably going to determine the outcome of this. That's probably all true. That said, there were there was a, a, a there were a couple of polls that were striking to me or elements of them. One was the Fox News poll on Friday night. By the way, remarkably, Trump hates the Fox I News know, poll. It's great. 
he hates it because they, they're doing a competent job of polling and he doesn't think that they should be. He thinks that they should be tossing out numbers that are favorable to him. He remains nine points behind Biden in the Fox poll. But the thing that was most interesting about it, and this goes to the point that you made earlier about suburban women in particular, they looked intensively at 25 counties where the margin between Trump and Clinton was in 2016 was 10 points or less. And in those 25 counties, Biden had an, a, a, a prodigious lead. This speaks to the suburbs, I think. I think those 25 counties were largely in suburban areas. And uh, he continues to have a huge problem there that some of this may mask but it's still very much there beneath the surface. I think we won't get a real good view of this until we're a little bit more through the crisis, and then we also see this at a state-by-state level. But that probably the second best thing is is some of what you were talking about, Axe. And for all the excitement that he loves, the reality show and the ratings that he tweets about, there are clearly some big mistakes. You are going to see a lot of that video of him attacking Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. And it is going to beam through Oakland County. It is going to beam through the Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo area. And they're going to try to separate in a big way the exact voters that you're talking about and put some of these states out of reach for Trump to repeat in. And I think Michigan is kind of exhibit A in that in a big way. And it's going to be a real challenge for him if he keeps picking some of the fights that he does. It's one thing to pick a fight with Jay Inslee politically in a state like Washington, but to pick it in, in such a swing state like Michigan, I think it goes to temperament. I think it goes to response. I think it goes to some amount of sexism. And uh, I don't think it'll help. And the polling thing about Trump is you, you got to, if you look at the whole scope of his presidency, he always oscillates between horrible and pretty bad. It's never good. And I'm with Silver. We're tasting a cake here that's been in the oven for two minutes. Uh, th- this thing has to cook over a while and, and we're, we're just see. Now I have a question for you, Hacks. We talked about Biden's struggles to find a platform, but in the course of Cuomo shadow, but you know, the, the Democrat apparatus, in whole is doing what campaigns do. They're running ads. And there's a lot of excitement, I think, in Democrat land about a couple of these negative ads about Trump's handling of the viral thing. But at least if you believe the national polling, and it's only six million, which is about three bucks in national politics. Do you think the tone of ads that are, here's why Trump is bad, is the way to go? Or is there a hunger in the country for kind of a hope and leadership argument? which would help Biden more. Because as much as, you know, a non-Trumpy and somebody who doesn't want to see him reelected, I kind of enjoy the ads. I'm not sure they're persuasive. I think that all may be built in. And I'm curious what you think about the independent Well, you know, we've talked about this before. Yeah, you have. Yeah, I I thought these were not well-timed because we're at a point here where I think people are very focused on the crisis and hopeful that the president might come through here. And it's uh, and, and, you know, if if I were to run the uh, ads that were critical of uh, uh, of Trump, I would do it in the spirit of urging him to do the right thing. In other words, you might recount the fact that we got in uh, to this too late or that he got into this too late. And that's had made this crisis worse, but then urge him to stay the course and listen to the scientists and give constructive criticism so that it doesn't look as if. The ad's intent is to just take the president out, and yeah. uh, I, I think they could have that could have. A, now I've gotten a lot of blowback from the from some of my friends, and I suspect that they're going to continue to do what they're doing. At the end of the day, it may add up to nothing, and I think it could be 
because events will supersede any advertising that you have run in March, I'm not sure that you're planting seeds so much as wasting money. Yeah, my gut is exactly the same on it. I think your point about the the overall level of spending and its ability to break through is a good one. I will say, I think, again, I think this is the downside of the reality show is there's a lot of material. And if you're if you're out there for an hour or an hour and a half, um, not making a mistake is tough. And I think what's interesting, particularly as you've seen Trump, these ads are not, they're not the grainy slow motion pictures of a negative ad. They're his words. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing. You know, this is not somebody who generally under promises and over delivers. As you said, Murphy, he's somebody who's always using the best and biggest superlatives to talk about, you know, it's the best test in the world. It's the most tests in the world. It's all this stuff. And I think when you see some of that compared to the reality of what people feel, I think the potential for those ads, certainly over time, the potential, I think, is quite high. I think down the line, you're right. I think there's just it is rocket fuel in the Republican coalition to make the argument that the Democrats and their sneering friends in the media are rooting for the country to fail because it'll hurt Trump politically. And when you pile on the political ads, which is the country's in trouble, vote for me, it's risky rocket fuel. And uh, I'm, I'm with that. So I think there's a danger in the timing, though. Fundamentally, it's not enough money to shake the race, but it doesn't form the cable TV noise, which is getting more attention now than ever before uh, because of the nature of the crisis. Yeah, speaking of money, uh, Times had a story this morning that I think is pretty significant, which is Biden already had problems raising money. He was doing a lot of it by running around the country the old-fashioned way and holding fundraisers. Can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. He never was a good uh, online fundraiser. And now people who give small donations are pressed by this economic situation. And so there, there's like a 10-to-1 disparity between the resources that Trump and the Republican Party has versus the resources that Biden and the Democratic Party has. And this may be telling down the line and problematical for Biden. I'm going to pitch one tactical idea. If I were over there in the Biden virtual bunker, one press move I would break this week is I would say no time for it now, bigger things, but later in June or whatever, we're going to do a huge online Zoom fundraiser hosted by my dear brother-like friend, Governor Cuomo of New York, and just take some of the energy out of that Cuomo thing. And they're close. I'll bet Cuomo would do it when the world is rotated to a point where he can't. I like it. What about his brother-like friend, Barack Obama? (laughs) I, I think the closer you get to Cuomo right now, the better. Snuff out that trouble. You're going to get a good sense up and down the ballot in the next couple of weeks. You know, today's the end of the first fundraising quarter for 2020. So we're going to start to see some real proof, not just in the presidential race, but in the party committees, uh, in super PACs, in mm-hmm. uh, in House and Senate races, just how much the 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 normal rhythm of a campaign has changed because of this. Because, And I, my guess is you're going to see lots of committees that had maybe decent Januaries, maybe decent Februarys raising money and then just hit a wall. And it's going to be interesting to see who does what to get inventive around how to make that smaller bucket of dollars last longer and go farther. Totally right. I think the reports are going to be very telling. Quickly, I had one more thing I really want to get to with you two wizards. This Bernie Sanders, he's supposed to go away, but yet he apparently is talking about campaigning on. Any, Any insights on that? Or just wait and see. You know, I've heard mixed messages on this. First of all, 
you know, Bernie Sanders has been a gadfly all his life. I mean, he is used to, um, you know, he, he, he lives uh, by, for the platform and he has ideas he wants to get out here. And he, uh, you know, he's being urged by some of his supporters to soldier on. I think there are a lot of other people who are talking to him about the cost of that to the ultimate goal of defeating Trump. And I, I think Bernie has to take a look toward history here because what's happening is, I mean, if you go online and some of it is manufactured by Trump and some of it may be by the Russians and others, but you see a lot of Twitter traffic attacking Biden uh, along the same meme. You know, he's not up to it. He's demented. He's he's degraded. And it's just aiding and abetting the Trump cause. And you know, Sanders went out and campaigned for Hillary Clinton in 2016, takes umbrage at the suggestion that he didn't do enough and that he contributed to Trump's election. Now he is looking at a situation here where the longer he hangs out, the more he gives oxygen to this sort of anti-Biden effort among his own people. He, he ought to get out. Yep. He should get out. I agree. He's heading to Tulsi Gabbardville. Well, and I would say, too, Murphy, I mean, you know, the, the way Democrats do their allocation of pledged delegates and not doing it in a way that's winner take all, Bernie Sanders has got to win 65 percent of the remaining pledged delegates to be the nominee. Those are numbers he's only getting in his home state. I get it. It's hard to give this dream up because you've looked in the mirror every day for a year and seen the next president. I just think mathematically, regardless of all of the what Axe just said about the country and the party and what have you, mathematically, it's just simply not there. The race is frozen in time. It's not going to get unstuck before we pick a nominee. And so I think, I think if you were just to look at the math of this, it would be pretty easy to decide that you're not going to be the nominee and you should probably step aside. Totally agree. As one of Bernie's great heroes, Vladimir Lenin, would say, don't be a useful idiot. Shall we pay a few bills, Axe? I think we might have some stuff to talk about here. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nauseous, nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. 
Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, we got a full mailbag here, and if you at home have a mailbag question, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap at gmail.com. And while you're on your computer, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. All right, first question, X, what do we have? All right, this is for you, Murphy, uh, from Thomas. He's directing it to you as the Tribune of Capitalism. Isn't our current <laughs> crisis relating to masks, gowns, ventilators, etc., proof that the free market cannot be relied upon to adequately supply medical care? Seems this is at least a very strong argument that the Democrats need to be messaging in that direction. If there has ever been proof that universal health care is needed, this is it. Well, Comrade Thomas, or should I call you Bernie, thank you for that insightful question that is actually a great question. First of all, if you email us at hacksontap at gmail.com, I'm going to send you a copy of The Road to Serfdom and try to correct some of this poor thinking here. But you've got a point about messaging. And I actually think that the uh, Defense Act, where the government can direct industry, has an appropriate role to play right now. Because the problem is not telling Ford or GM and GE how to make ventilators. They're going to be knocking them out like cuckoo clocks. The problem is to organize the supply chain. And that's where the government in an emergency like this can actually have an impact. So I think trying to make the stretch from coronavirus to Medicare for all is a tricky one right now because people, I don't think, are looking for systemic risk in the hospitals. But the argument that the government can be activist and do more in a crisis like this, eh, I think it's probably right. Gibbs, what do you think? I can't agree more. I mean, I think it is, it's really gut-wrenching to see the stories and read about people that are in these hospitals, nurses and doctors, risking their lives and not having the right equipment to take care of it. And, um, you know, I don't think anything makes me more, drives me crazier in a, in a crisis like this, not to think back, what would that plant in Kokomo be putting out now in terms of ventilators if we'd have cranked it up in February? Yeah. Uh, I think the the lost time in a crisis is, you know, you, you can't ever get it back. And in this case, I think the the downside is going to be deadly. We are getting a exhibition right now in tragic ways about the need for a strong government response in a crisis. We have these debates that are kind of stupid about, well, what, why do we even need government? Now we, we can see why we need government, because at times like this, only the government can organize an efficient response and a timely response. As you point out, Gibbs, uh, the tragedy here is that it wasn't a timely response. These ventilators that Trump is talking about now will be available in June. They still will be useful, but not necessarily to the people of New York in the next weeks or the people of Chicago, Detroit, and other places. And we're hearing from medical personnel all over the country about the lack of supplies. So I, I agree with both you guys. I think there is a, you know, we can engage in that debate about universal health care. We will engage in that debate about universal health care. And there will be at the end of this, when we examine the carnage, there will undoubtedly be a greater burden on those who are least 
equipped to deal with the economic aspects of this crisis. But for now, what we want is a strong, effective government response because only the federal government can provide it. Absolutely. Now we have a question from Wilson in Chicago, the great cradle of the mighty Cubs, deep dish pizza, and people who died in the 40s still voting. I'm disappointed, Axe, that you're giving so much credit to Governor Cuomo. He may be setting the right tone now, but if anything, he was late to implement the right action. How about some coverage of Governor Pritzker here in Illinois? He has been consistently taking the right steps and setting the right tone. I think we got a cousin. Same can be said of Mayor Lathbrook. <laughs> Come on, Axe. Let's hear the love for your hometown and state. Listen, I am uh, deeply, deeply appreciative for the leadership that the folks in Illinois have taken. Governor Pritzker has been magnificent in responding to the crisis. And, you know, he's not a he's not a showboat. And the governor of Illinois doesn't get the coverage that the governor of New York gets. I think Andrew Cuomo has been magnificent as well in this crisis, though. And I, you know, I think he's done the things that need to be done. He's called attention to the things that needed to be uh, that needed attention. And I think the larger story here is that there are governors and mayors all over this country who are doing the right thing, Republicans and Democrats, trying to uh, save lives, trying to keep their communities safe. And what they deserve is a strong, consistent partner in the federal government, guided by science, guided by need, willing to listen to that uh, need as it bubbles up from uh, local communities and respond to it. And uh, so hats off to Governor Cuomo, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Lightfoot and others around this country. And uh, here's hoping that the federal government can uh, meet the needs that state and local governments simply can on their own. And Gibbs, here's one from Patrick who says, it seems to me a frighteningly realistic possibility that the COVID-19 situation could result in a postponed election in November. Convince me this is a left coast paranoia and I shouldn't be concerned about the possibility of a Trump presidency in the face of unfavorable polling, settling in for an indefinite stay. Gibbs, put this le- uh, this self-loathing left coast uh, person Put his mind at ease, will you? Yeah. In order to do that, you'd have to basically pass a law through the House and the Senate and sign it by the president. That's simply not going to happen. We are an amazing country, the shining beacon uh, of democracy for everybody. And that election is going to happen as it's planned right now. And we're going to have to figure out exactly how to do it. Do we want people lining up? Do we want to do this by mail? But there's no doubt that's going to happen. And the other plug I would put in, Axe, is, um, you know, I get concerned about, and we've seen this with with folks like Rand Paul and others who uh, have contracted coronavirus. It's 2020, and we ought to have a continuity of government plan that allows the House and the Senate to meet in order to consider vital legislation and not have to all infect each other by showing up in the floor of the House of the Senate. We're talking about already talking about phase four of stimulus. And in order to do that, you're going to have to bring everybody back. And I don't know why we would do that. It's 2020. It's, yeah. We ought to have a secure plan that allows the Congress to be able to meet and do what it needs to do. It's vital for our democracy. Yeah. And, you know, somebody wrote in, uh, Christopher wrote in that he uh, wondered whether with more Senate Republicans self-quarantining, could Democrats gain a de facto majority in the Senate? 
and vote in a new majority leader. Let me just say, this is no time for coups, okay? Yeah, no banana uh, republic stuff. That is not a good idea. Let's We got to run, but I do have one last call, so let's go to it. Last call. So I just want to send my best wishes to my friend Chris Cuomo, who announced this morning that he's tested positive for COVID-19. My colleague at CNN, brother of Governor Cuomo. I think we're going to hear more and more of this. And, uh, you know, I want to just send my best wishes out to him and his family. He's a strong guy, and I hope that he gets through this without a problem. And the same goes to everyone who listens to our podcast who may be have been exposed to this, who are showing positive signs of it. We're just thinking about all of you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Our best wishes to Chris and everybody who's struggling with this disease or has a family member or loved one and to our first responders and medical personnel who are selflessly in the front lines. And I'll have a very quick last call, which is simply salute to big pharma, little pharma, biotech pharma. They're stepping up. They're in labs risking their lives, too, and their exposure to disease all over the world in in the race to use high-tech medicine to help relieve this terrible disease. So in politics, there's always a lot of bashing. There are legitimate issues. But fundamentally, I'm very proud to see how American industry and particularly pharma has really stepped up. I would just say to everybody that's listening, stay at home. Yep. Don't put your lives in danger. More importantly, don't put the lives of those that are helping on the front lines, save others, don't put them in danger. Listen to those that talk about staying at home and social distancing. It's not spring break. It's not a snow day. This virus can attack you regardless of your where you live and regardless of your income. So please, please stay at home. Well said. Yeah, you control the outcome by your behavior. So use your power. Stay at home. All right, guys. We'll have plenty more to talk about here, and uh, I hope that uh, over time this takes a an upturn and we can get back to our normal our, our normal palaver uh, <laughs> and not uh, and not talk about this deadly virus. Good to be with you, though. Stay healthy, you and your families, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Be well, Axe. See you later, Gibbs. Wash your hands. Stay safe, guys. 